Hi everyone, this is Kat here, RA on the fifth floor at Goddard, and I'm here today with our RHAD, Alfredo. So Fredo, why do you listen to Where RA Now? I love listening to the podcast because it really sets the tone for my week and really reminds me of the awesome leadership opportunities our current and former RAs um, have had. Awesome. Do you have any favorite episodes of the podcast? Ooh, it's hard to choose from all of the amazing episodes. I think I have three right now that I can think of. One is episode five with Brittany Johnson. She plays Glinda on Broadway on Wicked. And I just saw her a couple nights ago and she did amazing. The other one is episode 16 with uh, co-host Ari Shereya from Goddard. It was really nice to listen to her and listen to the story for that night. And the last one, it's episode 9 from AJ. His story is very inspiring and I think really realistic. Very cool. Well, you can find new episodes every Sunday, so make sure to look out for those. Happy listening. Welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. My name is Tom Ellett, your host, and I serve as the Senior Associate VP of Student Affairs. We certainly miss the RA co-hosts since the COVID-19 outbreak, but glad to know they are safe. Tonight, I'm excited to have as our guest, Paolo Larano, who served as RA in Hayden Hall, now known as Lipton, for Stephanie Rabel and Katriana Dobb, during the 2008 to 2010 academic years. 10 years, Paolo, I can't believe it. How are you and where are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's uh, I'm coming to you from Tacoma, Washington right now. Um, lucky enough to work from home um, with everything going on. Lucky to still be able to work, um, enjoying kind of an extended family leave. I was only back at work for about a week and a half before um, before we were moved com- to completely uh, remote work. So, um, yeah, I, I took uh, I took February to um, like early February to early March off uh, with my my child being born, and uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of like extended family leave right now. So. Wow, wow, I can yeah. it's probably just an amazing blur in a, in a kind of strange way. Um, let's jump back to your time at Washington Square. Sure. What did you study while you were here? So I studied, I majored in English and I minored in music. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I studied. It was a good time. Yeah. And and what did you do in terms of involvement for extracurricular activities? Yeah. So I was really involved in a couple of different things. I was, I was involved in a lot of things in the Catholic center, uh, led a couple of like, led some retreats there, did, um, did, was really involved there that involved in some student groups. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, probably my main activity outside of um, outside of academics and then our, uh, being an RA. Uh, and then I was also involved in a group called Middle C. We did a lot of com- music and community service work. And uh, that was really fun. So yeah, I had a lot of, those are some really good times. I remember you being a pretty busy guy. Uh, what made you want to be an RA? So, you know, I was pondering this question for a while because I remember, you know, I, I, loved finding different spaces that fit like fit you know me place where I felt like I fit and I love that part of NYU just being able to find your own community and things like that but I remember specifically a conversation that we had during my first RA training in 2008 about like how do we welcome students who feel marginalized or may not feel like they fit in for whatever particular reason 
And I remember getting really emotional about that and being like, oh, that's why I became an RA. Like really thinking like at the core of everything, like not to like save these people or anything like that or really just, you know, help them with it, but to really in some ways foster their growth and be able to support them in them finding their own communities and sense of belonging. So I think that's that's at the core. That's the real reason. Mm-hmm. And, and what kind of relationships did you have with your residents during your time? Oh, I've, I had some really, really close relationships with my residents. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of, I really enjoyed the one-on-one connections, like the, the one-on-ones that we'd have. And I really got to know them pretty well. And you know, just being, you know, living there, seeing everyone all the time. I had a lot of relationships with a lot of residents who were in the building, but not on my floor, just because, you know, kind of the benefit of going to a lot of programs. Uh, but even now, I mean, I, I've continued a lot of those relationships. I mean, I've still meet up with someone when we were in the same place or, or something like that. Um, a couple of uh, funny story, actually. So a couple of uh, my former residents actually sent us baby gifts recently. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So we're, and, That's so uh, cool. yeah. So, and then, um, yeah, so I'd say oh, we were pretty close though. Yeah. So that's cool. Talk a little bit about the Hayden staff. Yeah. So, I love, like Hayden staff was fantastic. I, love, I mean, first of all, I've got to say, you know, I met my wife on that staff. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, pretty crazy. We'll, we'll talk about uh, that. In a yeah. Um, a lot of, and a lot of my best friends. So I, you know, one of the things uh, that we did was we'd have this thing where I think, yeah, Saturdays, Sundays, you know, we'd be in Hayden in the, in the dining hall. And sometimes there'd be a small group of RAs and sometimes it would get bigger, but we'd be hanging out there sometimes from like nine to maybe 5 PM. There'd be like a group just changing and we'd, you know, have fun, play pranks on each other, but also just like come up with programs and stuff like that while we were, were eating. So that was like, that was the community there. And I loved that. So you told, you, you mentioned just a moment ago about getting married to someone on your staff. Tell us about that process. <laughs> Were you, you weren't dating when you were on staff together, from what I remember. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> without getting too much into the, the details. Um, so I was, um, my wife, Courtney, was a first year RA. I was a second year RA. And we had, we had been friends for, you know, from the beginning of the time we were, we were RAs together, beginning of the year. Um, and so we, we actually started dating in the second semester of, uh, of the year. And so we, it was funny because we actually... Had to get together with uh, with Cat and like put together an agreement of like if if we break up like I'm not gonna go do these things or whatever and she's not gonna like yeah, yeah, <laughs> so like yeah. which is kind of okay. nuts but that was uh, yeah so we were together but because I was graduating at the end of the year they were like all right that's fine yeah and so you've been married now since 2017 so three years great yeah okay great. Um, when we think about the RA role and what you're doing today, what skills did you gain that you're still using? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Rolling with the unpredictable situations, obviously, so that can be anything from, from you know, being on duty and handling a particular incident, or that could be just having residents from all over the world and, you know, one thing that's going to work for someone, it's not going to work for someone else in terms of connection, uh, feeling included in their community, whatever it might be. Uh, program planning. I typically a terrible planner, but it was you know one of the things that really fostered my ability to do that better. Um, the one-on-one support, obviously, one of the big things for me that I've definitely seen in my work now. We can talk about this is the whole idea of like living in a fishbowl, living where you work. Because you know I I'm someone who I've always lived in the communities in which I've worked, and so 
being able to manage that, being able to manage those dual roles. And then I'm currently, like, I do a lot of outreach. That's a big part of my work. And, you know, a lot of that comes from having fun program planning back when I was an RA, doing things that the people wanted, but also things that I thought might be interesting and engaging in communities in different ways beyond just kind of the typical, like, at least in my job, the typical kind of one-on-one therapy. So, yeah, those are skills I learned as an RA and ones I've definitely applied to my work in my life now. Outstanding. Let's talk about graduation day. You you were at Yankee Stadium. uh, Mm -hmm. And how did you transition from being a student? You became a student again, but uh, (laughs) being a student, graduating from NYU and that whole, I'm done with undergraduate. What's next? So first of all, the Yankee Stadium graduation was cold. I remember that. It was like, we were in ponchos, but it was cool. Like, you know, I tend to be more of a Mets guy when it comes to New York baseball. Me too. But, Me too. but you know, but it's okay though. It's okay. Um, but anyway, the um, so yeah, transitioning to transitioning to under to from undergrad to afterward. Like I remember almost immediately thinking, okay, um, I don't know what I want to do with language major. I didn't want to be a professor. I didn't really want to go into um, journalism, which is something I initially thought of or considered way back when I started college. But I had an inclination that I wanted to do something else, but I didn't know what it was yet. So I, I, you know, I got a job. I need, I want to stay in New York. So I got a job doing some online media stuff and that was, that was good for a while. That wasn't, you know, I learned a lot doing that, but I was continuing doing volunteer work um, and things like that, whether it be, you know, mentoring, mentoring some kids here and there or coaching challenger baseball, like a, a baseball team for kids with like autism and other developmental disabilities shout out to uh ra jenna gabriel by the way who got me into that um and uh um, thank you jenna yeah so that was uh that was something that was something that i like i just really cherished that and i realized at one time i actually went to to a production of jenna so jenna and uh angelica conway actually yeah they they mm-hmm. had this group called like daytime moon creations they're doing like theater for for kids on the spectrum and other disabilities and I remember thinking, like, okay, they started this when they were in college. Like, there's no reason I should be waiting. Like, I can definitely go do something, you know, more therapy-oriented now or something more, like, without really a degree with it, uh, for it. So I went and got a job, was lucky enough to get a job doing crisis intervention, which is, you know, I kind of spun the RA job and my experience in that to be like, well, I don't have formal experience doing stuff, but, hey, this, this, uh, this RA job helped with that, like, build my skills. Uh, and that ended up being my first out of therapy job and I ended up eventually going to grad school. So yeah, that was, that was my journey, but it was, a, it was a road that, that took maybe two or three years just to get there. So, well, and it's an important story to tell because I think sometimes it's this pressure that you're going to know exactly what you want to do the minute you leave commencement. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. I look at yeah. my own journey and, and you, you have doors and you have opportunities and you have to kind of sometimes pass those doors yeah. and sometimes go to something else. So yeah. at what point did you decide you wanted to commit to this and go yeah. back to grad school? And what was yeah. that process like? So I, I tell people all the time, I never wanted to be a psychologist. Like I, I was like, even now, like a lot of my goals don't really revolve around being a psychologist. But um, I always knew like I basically read too much and listened to too much music when I was in college and realized, hey, you know what, I listened to a lot of music and read a lot of books by people who are either oppressed or depressed or both. Um, And I realized there was a lot of healing power in telling stories and sharing art related to 
pain and things like that, whether that be oppression, depression, other things like that. And I realized as much as I love discussing these things and doing that, I wanted to, I wanted to do something actively to work for those people. Um, and so I always say like my journey toward mental health is more of a calling than anything. I, w- I realized I was spending all my time, all my effort doing, you know, doing things, uh, doing the volunteer work I was doing, even when I was in, in undergrad, like especially my junior, especially my senior year, like I always say I, I majored in English music and like retreat leading and RA life. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was, you know, and, and that's, those are the things I really learned to love at that time. And so, you know, it's something that just when it happened, it clicked. I know there were a couple of things like I realized now, like I had never little things like I'd never seen a Filipino psychologist before. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, it was one yeah. of the things where it wasn't really a norm to me growing up. And so it was something that I, I slowly embraced over time, um, just in terms of possibilities and things like that. And I said, why not? So, um, I made the active choice to like, Hey, why not? Why not I apply to some of these programs? And it was, uh, it was very much of a discovery process. I mean, grad school in general, but even a discovery process to even get to the point of uh, going to grad school, just because it had been, it seemed so out of reach at some point. And it, then at some point, all of a sudden, you know, I was in grad school and I was like, okay, I'm here with less academic experience than a lot of my, my, my peers, a lot of my classmates, but you know, I, I have other things I can apply. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What made you choose the right Institute? Uh, a couple of things. I, I wanted to go home. Um, I mm-hmm. also really like, I wanted to go back to the Bay area, shout out Bay area, by the way. Um, I wanted to go back to the Bay area. I also wanted to, if I wasn't going to be in New York, I wanted to go back to the Bay area. Uh, mm-hmm. but I really enjoyed, uh, kind of the, the different populations I get to work with. I immediately, because I was already doing clinical work, I didn't want to take another year off from clinical work just to do school. I want to jump right back into it. And they had the opportunity to do that. You know, they were going to let us jump right into clinical work. I looked at, uh, you know, I asked people, like, who are the, the people you worked with? And it was a lot of underserved communities and things like that. I was like, well, that's that's exactly what I want to do. And what I want to, I don't want to take any breaks from that. So that was part of it. They, um, the Wright Institute, uh, their motto is uh, educating clinicians to society, which I really loved. Um, you know, found, found found some issues with that while I was in grad school and, and did some things about that, which I can talk about a little bit later. But I picked the school mostly because I wanted to be home and I wanted to um, I wanted to be part of that uh, part of a community working with underserved folks. It was also I when I visited, I met a Filipino student and a Filipino psychologist. And I was like, OK, cool. Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. That 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 representation was really powerful for me. So I was like, yeah, like I'll I'll go here. So well, it's so important in our society yeah, yeah. today for every person to mm-hmm. be able to see a role model who looks like them, who thinks like them, and who has mm-hmm. experienced some of the things they've experienced. You you seem to focus a, a good amount on men's mental health. Yeah. How how did that passion begin for you? So I would say you know I'd be it you know like a lot of folks with their areas of interest, you know, started with my own experiences. You know, I was, uh, experienced some pretty, pretty significant depression when I was in high school. But I think the main thing that really influenced my decision to go into men's mental health is I actually experienced an eating disorder, struggled with eating disorder for a long time, uh, mainly through the end of high school, early college. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, a lot of those things are still part of my journey. Um, mm-hmm. And I wondered, I remember wondering why I was so ashamed to talk about it. You know, I, I tell people I, I couldn't even say the word eating disorder in relation to my experience for a long time. Um, and so, you know, I looked at 
yeah, I really was interested in how boys and men of any age, really, and how, like, how they, how expectations around, you know, their emotional availability, what they can express, how they can express that. Like, I was just so interested in how that has limited us in a lot of ways and how that's hurt the rest of the world, to be honest. So, um, you know, that led to a lot of different things. And I, you know, my dissertation I wrote about, like male athletes and body image issues and things like that, which was a really healing experience for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like I'd be, I'd be, you know, foolish to not mention all like the non cisgender male folks in my life who consistently challenged me to look at my own biases. Um, and so, you know, they've done a lot to help me just, you know, bravely invite me to unpack my own biases while, you know, expanding my own understanding of masculinity. So, yeah, I mean, that's, it's something that, it's more of like a lot of my a lot of my career, honestly. It's something that I've it's, I'm interested in beyond psychology. So I, psychology just happens to be the vehicle that I use mm. to explore it. But I would if I wasn't doing it as a psychologist, I'd be doing it some some other way. Yeah, you've created a, a group. It seems to be in terms of the University of Washington Tacoma's men's group. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that particular group? How it yeah. formed and the role that you're playing with it. Yeah, so un- unfortunately it's not running right now because we, uh, with everything right, right, going right. online, it's hard. To, it's really hard to run process groups over Zoom or over video chat. Uh, basically, it, it, ha- it happened in other universities where men wanted a space. Uh, they wanted a space to, essentially, something. How the way I always describe the group is like feel feelings of other dudes. Basically, um, what was happening <laughs> yeah. was I was seeing a lot of male clients. Um, in fact, you know, at one point. Friday became Dude Feelings Friday because I was seeing like just a bunch of guys. Um, and, you know, that's great. But at the same time, there's nothing like having men be in a group together where they're not talking about superficial things. They might be initially, um, but they they learn to be emotionally available with each other, whether, you know, it starts with them sizing each other up and kind of giving each other advice and not really opening up. But I mean, it's one of those things where I'm, as a as the leader of that group, I'm not really, like, I'm part of that process. So one thing that I do is I try to just be another member of the group and express my own insecurities, express my own discomfort with being in a group of men. Even though I grew up playing sports with, you know, a bunch of boys and men, like, I still get uncomfortable when I'm in all-male spaces. So, um, yeah, I mean, in some ways I'm leader, but in a lot of ways I'm just a participant on the same journey they are. So, yeah. Uh, when you when we talked about having to take a break with the COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. uh, what advice do you have for for those who are feeling a, a, a little bit more anxious or isolated um, yeah. at, at this moment in time? Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. I want to say you know shout out to all like everyone else doing mental health for right now because we're all. I know for me, I'm managing a lot of my own anxiety and uncertainty, and you know it's it's something that I think. It, normalizing that is one of the biggest things in terms of that. So recognizing that we don't have to be, we don't have to be productive right now. Like we can, we're productive can look like a lot of different things right now. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest things. Um, I think self-care is a big thing, but I think beyond self-care, I, I constantly invite people to think of self beyond self-care and thinking about self-compassion. So recognizing that self-care doesn't always have to be doing things. Self-compassion is more the idea that, you know, it's okay if you want to sit on the couch and 
you know, eat Oreos with peanut butter, like pan trap style, you can do that. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, the, like that's only a thing. You know, you can do that, and that's cool. Like especially right now, you know. And then I, I'm, you know, I'm just getting a lot of ads and stuff on social media around like, hey, like don't get fat during quarantine. And of course, given my experience, that was particularly, you know, something that was like, you know, set me off. And so I was like, yeah, like why do we need, you know, in terms of all this, in addition to all the stress, we don't need to continue to body shame ourselves. Like that's just not necessary. So. Um, but yeah, not feeling the pressure, not, you know, not feeling a lot of pressure to do anything. And I mean, a lot of the thing is, you know, if, if people do want to do sin, please do so. Whether it's whether, you know, it's a new hobby or even just starting a new TV show or starting listening to new music, but doing it because you want to, not because you feel the pressure to be productive or to continue going. And I understand that's a difficult narrative, but um, and a different narrative to break if that's been your narrative for a long time. So okay. um and yeah, say no to diet culture. Not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and if you're going to do diet culture, I would imagine it, it's helpful, for me at least, uh, a lifetime a Weight Watcher guy, uh, you know, do it with others. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that certainly helped my journey. That may sure. not for everybody. But, um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about, you, yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah. Tell me a little <laughs> bit about this work-life balance. I mean, that, you're a father now, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and how has that changed as you approach yeah. the work, um, you don't. To be honest, it hasn't too much. I mean, I, I've you know one of the big things I'm constantly trying to stay aware of as a therapist is just where my own experiences, where my own biases lie. I think you know definitely, even when, even before baby got here, you know, I've always had, you know, I've always been really emotionally tied to childhood experiences and hearing about those and everything like that. But I. I do a fairly decent job, I think, of keeping that at work and not necessarily bring it home and vice versa. I, I mean, I, of course, acknowledge when certain uh, certain clients' experiences remind me of things as a father and whatnot, uh, and even as an expecting father. But in terms of just overall balance, I think I've always enjoyed kind of being out of balance in the sense I've always enjoyed chaos in some way. <laughs> um, and so I like that. I mean, I, I love kind of like some of the unpredictability of, of life and on my job and so to me part of the work-life balance is accepting that there won't be perfect balance and that that's okay i think uh, you know for me i tell people most of what i do is i work which i love i run a lot now which is one of the things that i really love doing it's kind of my own piece my own meditation and things like that um and i hang out with my family i you know, I have a, you know, also, you know, with this day and age with all the technology, I've been able to maintain and making friendships and maintain a lot of friendships even now. So, yeah, just continuing to stay connected to people. It's, and yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work and sometimes managing it all can be a lot, but I enjoy it. So, well, you've always, you've always impressed me about the quality of relationships that you've been involved with people. I mean, you've always been, I hate that cliche people person, but you've always put others. Uh, is so prominent in your life, and I think that it really distinguishes you and the values mm-hmm. that you have. Um, one more question about what is a normal day like for a psychologist? What's it look like? Oh man, I mean, you can ask. I tell you, you can ask a hundred psychologists that question; they'd have a hundred different answers. Um, I was actually serving on a panel a few years ago, and there were three psychologists on that panel. We all had drastically different jobs. Um, so my job is I work at a university, a university counseling center. So my job is, I mean, the majority of it is still doing therapy. It's like doing one-on-one therapy, um, whether that be 
with an ongoing person, someone ongoing, or whether that be handling, you know, working on crises intervention kind of in the moment. Um, love to lead groups, obviously. I do a lot of outreach as well. So a lot of that is, you know, having mental health related programming, uh, telling other departments in the University about our services, other student groups, but it's also putting on other presentations and serving on panels and things like that. And I love that. Honestly, I'm, I'm a big believer that in therapeutic moments, the idea that you know, mental health healing can happen beyond, you know, beyond the room, because I think that that's something that's incredibly important for us to recognize. So the room isn't always relevant for everyone, whether that, you know, whether personally, culturally, whatever it might be. So I'm constantly trying to find different ways to do that, um, whether that be going and speaking with a student group or, doing some other kind of programming. So yeah, that's my job. Like I said, my job is a little chaotic and, and I kind of love it. So uh, I love being able to do a lot of different things. Well, and, and there's something to be said about the college environment in that age group. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on for 18 to 22 year olds and then returning college students, adult mm-hmm. learners. So you do have a really good uh, a kind of cross-section. Of yeah, adults. a lot. A lot of uh, a lot of our student population are non-traditional students, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is made up of non-traditional students. So we have a lot of veterans. We have a lot of people who have come back to school, uh, commuters. A lot of people have families. A lot of people have other jobs. So uh, yeah, it's it's particularly in our university. It's, it's different than NYU in that way, but it's yeah. I love it. It's it's almost like a nice blend of you know a more traditional college campus uh, counseling and then also just community mental health. So fantastic. Uh, do you stay connected with uh, RA alums? You mentioned a couple already, but now it's time for shout outs. <laughs> oh man, I, yo, this this section could take like half an hour. I'm not going to let it run that long, but I want to give a few shout First of all, shout out to my wife, Courtney, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, my friend Mars, RA, RA on third floor. Uh, uh, Pyle, Jenna, who I mentioned, Shrey, Kunal, Angelo, thanks for nominating me. Uh, Tarif, Kat, uh, Rob Quash, my, my man Rob. Uh, yeah. Just honestly, anyone anyone that worked at Hayden from like 2008 to 2011, because I was again I was around for a little while that year because yeah. uh, Court was still on staff. Um, but honestly, a lot of them have challenged me to do a lot of different things and have been really supportive in a lot of the things since uh, during my time at NYU and afterwards. So big shout out to them. Fantastic. Now it's time for speed round. Best dining hall. Hayden, obviously. Ah. Palladium, Palladium brunch for dessert, though, because I, I like the little eclairs. So it was good. Fair enough. Did you see a Broadway show while you were a student at NYU? I saw a lot of Broadway shows uh, when I was a student. Um, took advantage of a lot of those. Took, uh, took residence to Next to Normal at one point. That was really cool. Um, finally, what was your most memorable RA experience? Yeah, so uh, warm and fuzzy, honestly. Like the times during staff meeting where you'd give each other props and like write them on a little piece of paper. And like those were honestly, the, that was. I still love, like, those were my favorite moments as an RA. I just recognizing staff, whether that be anonymously or non-anonymously. Also, taps. I remember doing taps at the end of the year. If y'all didn't do taps, it's a way of, like, recognizing your staff and stuff like that anonymously. Uh, If y'all ever done that, a shout out to that. But also, if you've never done it, check it out. It's pretty cool. It is important, too. Paula, thank you so much for spending some time with me to really discuss your journey and where you've gone since you left NYU. Uh, you are a wonderful human being, and I think the work that you're doing is so invaluable to building up resilience and really going through the story of life with others, because I don't believe we can ever do this alone. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. Great. And and, and please send my best to Courtney as well, and uh, hopefully our paths will cross again. 
Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, Tom. Excellent. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the Dream School alumni version. Special thanks to my engineer, Alejandra Aravella, and our executive producer, Shahara Ranasang, and to the current professional staff and the alum, like Kat and Stephanie, who assisted these great RA alums in acquisition of skills along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on the NYU RA alumni website, which lists RA favorite books, picks of all-time favorite moments, and alumni accomplishments. Until next time, think about how your talents can help others reach their potential. Have a great night, everybody.